interview series. That man on the screen, if you're watching us on YouTube, we have a legend from the music business and a legend from the wrestling business. He's a twofer, folks. Um, we've got Mr. Beef Henderson on the show tonight. Beef, welcome to the show, brother. Oh, Ethan, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I, I'm, thank you. I mean, I don't know what to say, man. It's good to see you. I, I haven't seen you in so long, bro. I'm just happy to see your face. We see each other online. We talk online, but it ain't as good as the real thing. I can oh, tell you. No, no. You Jews from White Lake. We got to have our faces together every once in a while. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, we have, we have a bit of history other than work and uh, our professional history. So yeah, it's, 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 good, it's good that that's there. You know, there's a lot of history in this room. I don't know that guy on the bottom. No, no, I was just going to get to. Speaking of history, there's a man you have even more history than me with here. My producer extraordinaire, Mr. Joey Clax. Welcome back, always. I'm so excited. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just so excited to see that face. I, I really am. There it is. <laughs> beef, we, beef with us is uh, one man you don't know in person. This is uh, Mr. John Guerrero, LA's finest. Uh, always coming to us with a West Coast uh, swag that we've been missing over here. Uh, <laughs> I apologize in advance. It is still New York City over here, so... You're going to get the, uh, the random fire engines and shit, you know, so. As long as That's funny because it sounds like added in. It's really funny. It's like <laughs> perfect. It's pandemonium on the boulevard. Ah! <laughs> so when we put together this all fired up interview series, I'm not going to lie. We were putting together a list of different celebrities, different um, musical artists, different athletes. And one of the first per people that Clax and I said was, We've got to get beef on the show. Somehow, some way in the first month of the interview series. And you know what? We got you in at the end of the first month of the interview series. We're pumped. And like, we're going to talk about a bunch of things, but what most people know you for at this point is your work with Joan Jett. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've toured all over the world with Joan. Um, I, I got a <laughs> We're going we're to call it a lot of the world. That's for sure. Yeah, we've been, I've been, I've been, I've been around. Yeah. But you know, um, yeah, I, I, I did that, but and that's all thanks to Clack. I mean, you know, um, again, our... My first question for you is actually going to be, what is it like? I know the answer to this partially on my own, but I want someone else's opinion. What is it like to tour with Mr. Joey Clax, our producer? Tell us about <laughs> Oh, um, fun to say the least. <laughs> um, you're talking about a guy that... You know, you go into a business and you have to have a certain amount of professional knowledge, which when I got in, I had zero, but you can have a personality as everyone here might know about personalities. Um, Joe, Joey Clack has a hundred percent personality and like a hundred percent knowledge. So you mix that and, and, being on the road is fun and you, you learn things, which is sometimes hard to do from people, especially as knowledgeable as Joe. And, um, you know, Joe can run front of house. I'm sure he's mixing this, this, uh, this, Every uh, mixing, you know, yep. so like he's, he's really just, uh, he's the man, you know? And, but, but when you get that and you get a regular, I'm not want to say a regular Joe, but this guy is just so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much fun it's never ending quotes there's never ending there's never ending quotes and there's never ending new quotes you know like you can quote joe you can quote joey clack just by making an expression like you know like you could just quote him by making an expression you know I'll, he's I'll, got a million of them i'll tell you what over the years beef does does the best impression of me pretty much out there <laughs> As, uh, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen you in a couple of years, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's good. You know, I, I know if I'm ever impersonating you, I got to take three shirts with me at least. <laughs> I did. Three I shirts. did. Yeah. Well, you know, I got damp over the years, man. You got to have, we got to have a couple spares on hand, bro. He does sweat. Oh. Do you still sweat as much class being more sober? Oh, dude, it doesn't matter. Fat, skinny, sober. 
drunk. It doesn't matter. I sweat when I sleep. I sweat when I eat. Yeah, no, it's just. That's good. I'm happy. I'd be really disappointed if you lost that trait. I just wanted to. Yeah, no, absolutely not, dude. I'll be honest with you. My my kid actually sweats when she sleeps, and it's just like I know where you got that from. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that was me. You see that sweat? Let's let's take it back a little bit. Um. How did you break into the music? I know we're, we're going to get to your wrestling at the end because I have sure, a lot of sure. wrestling things to talk about. But and I know that was right. prior to music, but I want to start with music. Um, was SIR your break into music on a professional level, or did you do something before that? Um, on on the professional level of actually being in the industry, inside the industry. Um, yes, but I did have a break, um, in 1999, I started working and interning. I went to an, I went to a, uh, alternative high school here in New York city. It was called city as school. And, um, you know, I somehow got an internship one day. They were like, Oh yeah, you, you like music. You should work in a studio or a club. And I was like, what about CBGBs? You know, somebody I knew mentioned a bit to me and. I was like, yeah, so, you know, they made the call and a friend of mine made the call. I didn't make the call. I was too nervous because I was like, oh, that's CBGBs. And, um, you know, prior to that, I kind of worked here and there for like, you know, just local bands and my own band that was doing gigs. I'd show up at a gig and just help everybody move stuff. And um, I kind of got my big break at CBGB's. I started learning the uh, patchboard and, you know, kick snare hat, one, two, three, you know what I mean? Um, on the uh, snake. And um, they hired me. What really got me into it was, um, was my brother Dave and I got asked to um, do a show, load in a show. And it was Cheap Tricks. 25th anniversary or 20th anniversary maybe no 25th and it because it was 1999 cheap trick was kind of 1974 so that would be about right yeah. and um it was a music for hangovers was the name of the album and they were doing a big show there at cbgb's and they were like we'll give you 60 dollars you your brother and some other guy my buddy john somerville who uh, might be watching right now and um that was our, all three of us. That was our first exposure to a real like load in prior to that. I'd done punk and hardcore shows where I was basically sweeping up the stage and cleaning all the throw up at the bottom of the pit by the bathroom, you know, <laughs> um, cheap tricks and A-list band. I mean, that, I mean they were, yeah. And you know, the club. <laughs> and my association with cheap trick would end up going further down the line you know, with Joan and, uh, you know, of course, Joe knows he's probably done 500 shows with Cheap Trick. But I um, did a bunch with Joan for sure. How, how um, many guitar yeah. picks did you see that guy flick out in, in the show? Well, I still have mine from the first time I ever met him at CB's. And, you oh. know, we did the load in, we did the load out. It was the most grueling work ever. And I knew that night that I, this is all I wanted to do. And, you know, I kind of, after my internship ended, I floated around for a couple of years until I I floated into SIR through some weird everyone turn of events <laughs> and a guy named Noodles, which Joey Clack, I'm sure knows. Noodles, wow. Is that how you ended up in SIR, huh? Noodles? Yeah, I was at Penn Station waiting for an ex-girlfriend of mine <laughs> to come in from Boston. And um I heard this guy, he had like a flip phone. It was like 2003, maybe. I heard, I saw this guy with a flip phone. He was talking about a stage plot. And I recognized I picked up on some stuff. And I was kind of almost, I think I was working at Guitar Center at that time, or I may have gotten fired at that point. And I recognized some of the key things he was talking about, stage left, stage right. He was talking about the truss and the rigs and, you know, the guitar rig and, and um, advancing this gig. And I kind of just walked right up to this dude after he flipped the phone down and I was beef and I was like, hey dude, I'm just a guy that's really interested <laughs> in getting into this. And I gave him the spiel and he mentioned um, several places including SST and SIR. And um, that sort of led me on the path. And then about a year or so later I got hired. 
That's awesome. Did you ever run into that person again, or was that just like a oh one-time yeah, thing? noodles, noodles, noodles. was. Noodles yeah. worked for Blondie. He actually worked for Blondie. That was the bit, the band he was talking about. And um, he worked for them for years. And I don't know what happened to him. I would venture to say, uh, RIP, I venture to say Noodles is probably no longer with us. Uh, so, many, uh, so, many of those, so many of those locker dudes, like, I know. you know, like Milo and, you know, they all just, Milo. you know, they didn't just disappear. Oh man, Milo! You, you remember Milo, Ethan? I do. He I was do. a he was he's brace, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, John. Uh, Milo was uh, Elvis Costello's tech cohort partner in crime. So many things, and yeah. he was forever not smelling good, wanting to smoke <laughs> your weed, and knowing if the blow guy was coming. <laughs> where's the where's the guy? Where's the guy, brother? Lovely, lovely guy though. He was, he was, he was, he was a nice. Yeah. So rest in peace. One of, one of my favorite, rest in, maybe. Um, so one of my favorite things about working with you when I was doing gigs at SIR is I knew that if it was a load in and you were working a morning shift or if it was a load out and you were working a night shift and you'd be driving the trucks, this is before they were giving you gigs and treating you the way they should have been treating you. Right. Uh, no offense to those guys. Um, but no, none. Like just saying like you, it was just, they, you should have did it earlier, but okay. They, you know, whatever. Um, what was awesome about you and different than 99% of the other people working there, you'd come in and just jump on the gig with whoever was working. You, you well, yeah, like, oh, I mean, I'm the driver. I'm going to sit in the truck and wait for you, and you just push it to me, and I'll, I'll press the button. You're like, no, I'm getting on the stage. I'm going to pack it. I'm going to help you wire it. And um, to me, I'm like, this dude's a star. Why do they have him driving a truck? Like, he's going to inevitably be doing something amazing. And obviously, Joan came pretty soon after that. Um, but it just shows to people that you – you need to do what beef does. Just jump in, be hands on, do the right thing, and good things will come to you. I'm telling you. I, I, uh, I appreciate that. I really do. Um, my mindset from going in and working in the industry is, you know, I didn't know I'd spend so many of those years there as did, you know, any of us that worked there. The time that we spent there, I think it was like, whoa. I look back at it, it's, it's a lot of time, you know? Um, it's a lot of time and uh, hold on one second, sorry. I forgot to shut my guitar rig off. Um, <laughs> yeah, world's greatest rodeo. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I think a lot of it was like, so many guys that work not just there or that are getting into the industry they become like, all right, either jaded or complacent or jaded real quick. You know what I mean? Um, in my, in my, um, my experience with everything, my old man used to say, you want to do something, do it. I remember being in high school and being like, I want to be a fucking roadie. And everyone was like, I'm going to college, you know, and there's nothing wrong with going to college. Everybody, I just knew it wasn't going to work for me. So I was like, what do I do? I got to do it. And, um, I knew once I was like involved in there and I was at the shows and I was on the gigs picking things up and you know how it works there. And um, I was just like, well, it's not gonna, I'm not gonna make any name for myself being a fucking sloth. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why Joey uh, hooked me into the uh, black cards. You know, Joan came right after that was because I remember giving Joey, uh, Joey Clack a ride home one day when nobody wanted to. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, fuck everyone else. Beef, you're the man. And he's like, that's why you're going to be the next tech for the Blackhearts. And little did I know that was really, that was really like, you know, it really happened within a year. It was just, it was nonstop touring. I started 2005. I covered my first gig and, you know, you guys were, you guys were you in the industry by then we were full force, you know, mm -hmm. at, uh, at the, um, at the shop. And it was, you know, Joe, Joe might've already been retiring at that point with, uh, <laughs> with, with Fee Wilkes, you know, and uh, producing albums. The, 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 the first everyone, retired, the first retired, retired several times. You know, it always comes a comeback after the retirement. Absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> But um, Joe was Joe was getting ready to make music, man. He was producing <laughs> records, and he's like, "Oh, I can't go on tour anymore with Joan." You know, um, 
maybe you can help out and shit. And I was like, oh yeah. And then, you know, 2006. And that was a big one because we did a record and, and Joan and um, the Blackhearts had me in um, the studio. And I think you were there for that too, right, Joe? Um, yeah. For yeah, Sinner? I, I came back right after Sinner came out because I ran out of money. So I had to come out of retirement. That's exactly how I think we just did a Sinner record. So, you know, let's do a Sinner <laughs> But uh, yeah, and you know, Joe was doing the record and the record was being made and I didn't know, you know, I remember a guy named uh, our good friend, Randy Brown. I'm gonna throw some names out. John is gonna know any of these guys. Sorry, John, he's just like patiently taught, listening. <laughs> I really appreciate you listening to me. No, I, I love it, I love it. But um, Randy Brown, I remember Randy Brown giving me a call and be like, hey man, <laughs> what's up? Are you gonna be doing Tommy? Because they're asking me if I'm gonna be doing Warp Tour. And I was like, shit, I'm gonna lose this gig. And um, the studio came along and luckily I, I really stepped up and I'm really good in the studio, you know, as schmucky as I am, you know, I'm not a schmuck, but you know what I mean. <laughs> as beefy as I am, um, I'm serious about rock and roll and serious about like the stage. So I put my heart and soul into it and they recognized that and they decided to go with me on um, Warp Tour. And that was my first real, real experience with a tour bus. I had done Warp Tour a year before at SIR um, I walked in on a rehearsal, ended up becoming a frontman slash side guy for a rap rock metal band. And we did three shows on the Warped Tour. But by 2006, the next year, it was bus, private planes, you know, one-offs in between border crossings, um, losing pot brownies uh, at the border crossing. <laughs> what was like your first, like, so you said private plane, which struck me like what was the first like coming from like you know you don't want to go to college you're working your way up what was your first like where you felt like oh shit like i'm an important person oh i never thought that but um <laughs> let, let, let me show you the picture of dougie needles's fucking balls on both of our shoulders while we're sleeping on the private plane before you before you think it's air force one dude <laughs> oh, yeah uh, that's, that's, i think he might have done that yeah yeah um, and all the gear goes in the bathroom so nobody can use the bathroom on the plane well, yeah like and if there is and then you know what the funny thing was i remember going on um the first learjet and um it was with our buddy zach who i haven't seen in a while but i hope he's doing well and um he's hiking man he's hiking yeah he's doing oh, well yeah, man. He's the hiking vikings yeah, yeah. I, I talk to him all the time, man. He's doing awesome. I'll tell him you so what's good. up. Tell him I send my love, man. Yep. I, you know, I know he's out there somewhere. He's out doing his thing and I respect it. So I'm glad he's doing it. Um, I remember going on the plane with Zach. It, I guess I could say this, right? We were, sm we were chain smoking weed on the tarmac because we couldn't smoke it on the plane, obviously. <laughs> we're chain smoking weed on the tarmac. I'm like, oh man, we had to do this. I think it was like the, the Sydney Lopper tour, the and and we go on the plane, and I remember them saying, um, I remember them saying, um, oh, the bathroom in this plane is just an extra seat. So in order to use the bathroom, you have whoever's sitting on the seat has to get up. Then you have to like pull a curtain out, pull the seat up. Where's the toilet underneath it? And of course, first rule of being on a tour bus is the same thing. The first rule of being on a private plane. You don't. Sh you don't shit on it. Very good. <laughs> I was gonna have an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just. It was surreal. It was surreal because it was like I worked at CBS. I was working for local bands like Downpour. Anybody in New York would remember them. Uh, Laz and and uh, Casey. They got their, their sticker everywhere in the late 90s. I was like, I went from this dude that was like cleaning up and sweeping up, you know, hardcore matinee shows on Sunday and, you know, interning at CB's to like, you know, being with the queen of rock and roll on a private fucking jet, you know? <laughs> that was like the first of a couple, you know? So that was really, it was like, whoa, I, I kind of made it, you know? Um, that was a big one. Also the... Um, the Def Leppard tour, you know, and of course the um, Eagles of Death Metal tour when we crisscrossed the country 
you know, that was, they were all like leading up to that, but the, the private plan was probably the pinnacle of that time being like, whoa, 2007. But then right after that, it came the dream tour. And that was um, England with Motorhead and Alice Cooper. So that was like the best ever. Yeah, I'm younger and I never got to see Lemmy. So if you go over on tour with fucking Lemmy. I mean, the first time I met Lemmy was at SIR. Uh, remember Lou Blevins, boys? Oh yeah, oh, of course. Mr. Mr. Tour Supply. I don't know what he's doing now. I gotta, I gotta kind of reach out to him, say hello. But he lives um, in Buffalo, man. He's he's still being Lou Blevins up in Buffalo. Ah, he's oh. Blevins in Buffalo. Yeah. But um, I remember um, they had, they were they were one of the first companies I remember doing mass production for bands with um, you know, logos for the heads, you know. And um, they were they had Motorhead as a client, and Motorhead was playing BB Kings. Wow. And, and oh boy, hey, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Do you guys remember Mike D? He was there at this place. Yeah. Y'all heard about Mike D? Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, Ethan, Mike passed away. Ooh. Yeah, he was there. I remember him, him, Mike D, me, and a bunch of other guys went down to 25th Street to try and meet Motorhead. And my first interaction with Lemmy was him coming out of stage two um, with a Jack and a Coke in his hand. And he was asking about BB King's talking about the boom, boom room, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I was like, yeah, it's going to sound good. And, and then he kind of took a sip of his Jack and Coke and he handed it to me and said, here, this will put hair on your chest. <laughs> I saved that Coke and Jack and Coke for almost a year in the freezer, the piano. <laughs> I will, I wanted that lemmy juice and then this douche thatcher threw it out. Oh, I kill him. I bet it was Joey Scarpa. No, it was uh Scotty Scott, the douche thatcher. Ah. But um that was my first interaction with Lemmy, and I thought that was it, you know. And um Lou had printed a um a circle drum head and I told him I'd go get it signed, and I went to BB's and got it signed, met the guys, it was awesome, and then being on tour with them was like, it blew my mind. And Alice Cooper, that's a whole nother fucking, I mean, that's that's a whole nother life. You know, I have Alice right here, you know, next to me, you know? Like, that's we're a whole nother, that's a yeah, whole he, nother he's, he's an He's an AZ guy, he's out here. Love, you'd love living oh. by me and John because he, you could, I mean, I, I've seen him about four or five times since I've been out here at his restaurant once. He was performing with just him and Joe Perry at this little club. Uh, doing yeah. some cool things out here. He's uh, really the coolest guy ever. He really is. I mean, he really is. You know, it doesn't matter that he don't drink no more and he ain't crazy fucking drinking with Jim Morrison and getting fucked up and doing whatever. The guy plays golf and he makes the sickest music in my book. <laughs> Dude, Motorhead at BB King's had to have been one of the loudest shows ever. I was going to say, the ceiling is only like 10 feet high when I think about that. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was insanity. Wow. I think COC opened up for him. Corrosion and conformity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you wow. there for that, Joe? No, I lived next door when it happened, though. That's right. I was talking about that to the other. You, he, Joe lived on top of it, man, almost. No, I lived on top of the peep show. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, that was the peep show where I got my first fake ID. <laughs> there you go. Me too, man. I got my first fake ID there too, dude. Oh, Me, that's great. I, I think I was like 13. So we asked this question to people that come on. I want you to put together, if you're going to be a tech for a band, right? You're, the, you're the, the, the stage manager. You're the production manager for this band. Who is your dream band that's on the stage? Pick your people. Dead or alive? Anybody. All right, so Limit, it's my dream band to, to be working five. with. To be, I'm sorry, go ahead, buddy. L limited to four or five. because we okay, can four all, or five people. <laughs> Let's do a five-piece, yeah. shits and giggles. Um, Jesus Christ, that's pretty harsh. Yeah, um, you're on the spot. You're on the spot. All right, let's let's throw um, let's throw uh, oh man, uh, Sid Barrett. Okay, like that. Like Sid, that. Sid Barrett, number one. It's already uh, the best answer so far. It's <laughs> pretty good. Uh, let's throw Sid Barrett in there. I'd say um. 
The drummer, all right, don't get me crazy, but the drummer from Loverboy, he's awesome, man. <laughs> right, I'm trying to go outside the box of Living and Dead. This would be a good band. The drummer from Loverboy. Right, no offense to Tommy. No offense to Tommy. Um, oh, man. Bass, I would have uh, Lemmy. And uh, guitars. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. It's tough shoes to fill in that band already, dude. I mean, <laughs> who's playing? Not, I mean, ah, ah. keyboards, Rick Wright. We'll go with another Pink Floyd player. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Dimebag on guitars. Or I, knew, I, I knew you were going to go with Dimebag. Because he's so, he's so diverse. He's not just metal. That's very true, yeah. You know, so like, I th I'd say that's top five. Close, if I could have any more, it would be Pete Steele in there, you know. A little, little typo? Yeah, a little Pete Steele riff master. He's close. He almost made it in there, but. <laughs> but All right, um, so I, I want to turn this around. So now we, we heard about your music. Where did the name Beef Henderson start? Oh, dude. He got he got body slammed by somebody. Who'd you get body slammed by? This is where I want to get into a the lot of guys. Yeah, no, but it, oh, you know, you got you got leg dropped by Jimmy Snooker. That's what it was. Oh yeah, he leg dropped me, and he cut my hair in the ring when I had purple nah. hair <laughs> at the Knights of Columbus Hall on Jericho Turnpike in Minneola. And King Kong Bundy as well was there. He and King Kong Bundy cut my hair. Two dead wrestlers. Um, that's crazy. Those are so, I mean, so beef. All right. So it does go back to close to where the wrestling starts. Beef. Um, we all know our good friend, NB, Sean Rosa. <laughs> and um, we're going to say, yo, word up, Sean, because he's going to be listening to this. And Rosa! He, just, he just texted, he just texted me. An another dude I love and miss um, dearly. Mm -hmm. But um, he he just texted me, and um, I'm telling him, listen, but my good friend Sean and I had another cohort who we really, you know, at this point in our lives, just, oh, we well, were so stupid to hang out with him. But he was our friend at the time. And we were the three fat kids at <laughs> Forest Hills High School. <laughs> and, um, you know, we would hang out together because we were big dudes. And... <laughs> So this that's, is how, this that is was how that, heavy metal, the Jerky, boy, to the jerky the Boys, you know, come in. You guys remember uh, the Jerky Boys movie? <laughs> of course. So there's a scene where the Jerky Boys become, oddly enough, they, they, they became like, they tied up the roadies for Ozzy's first Ozfest and Ozzy's in the scene. And, um, you know, something along the lines, he called them, you know, whatever you say there, beefy tits. You know, somewhere in that scene is this is this this saying of beefy tits, and you know, um, me being one of the fat kids in Forest Hills, it just you know this guy this guy this guy kept calling me beefy tits, and it got it got shortened to beef, and um, and then when he moved out to Las Vegas, I woke up one day and I was like, where does he live? Henderson, Nevada. I was like, beef. Henderson, so I attributed my name to him. And that was it. I never really want to see him again because I fucked his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. No idea. Oh, no idea. Um, I hope he's not watching. I hope he doesn't go to TMZ. <laughs> but that's how I became uh, that's how I became Beef Henderson. And then <laughs> Then when I got into wrestling, my real name, you know, it just doesn't really stick. And I, I was very, you know, outlandish and uh, with the wrestling and and that was it. Where did you think you were going to go with wrestling? Did you, did you think you were going to get to like the WWE? Was that like the goal when you were into it or? Um, I'll tell you what, actually, Joe, Joey Clack has another distinction in being um, a part of my wrestling history. Um, he may have heard this story before indirectly. And our good friend Tiffany, he and our good friend <laughs> Tiffany 
who I love so much. I know um, you do. <laughs> I do. She's great. I, I, you know, we talk, but her, he and my good friend Tiffany went to Carmel High School. Yes, we did. <laughs> and oh, okay. <laughs> and at one point, um, at one point, I was working for this. You know, I got in by working the high school wrestling federation circuit. That's how I got into the indies by working. You know, high school shows and stuff. A friend of mine, his uncle owned a owned a promotion basically and had a promoter's license, which is very hard to do in New York. Serious, serious sports shit there. Like the license game is in insane racket. Um MMA barely got like authorized there a few years ago, which is like one of the bigger combat sports ever. And exactly. Um so in the late nineties, he was in mid nineties, ninety-five. He started this thing. So he ran a show at Carmel High School. Now, this was the turning point from me thinking that I can do this professionally and me just being a guy that was taking pictures of Jimmy Snuka and Demolition Axe and, uh, you know, Tommy Cairo and Manny Fernandez, you know. This show was the difference. He gave me a a um, a camcorder and said, beef. You know, in between um, you taking pictures of the wrestlers, film this shit because we're thinking about cutting it up into doing a uh, a public access show. So I said, all right. So I filmed it as I was filming it at Carmel High School, which is also the day I decided that Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy weren't real because of Jimmy Snuka. And I'll get to that point. (laughs) But um, that day I I video filmed, I videotaped the the matches and I just ran my fucking mouth like I'm doing. And like you and Ethan know I can do. And um, I started commentating on it. And the next two or three um, matches after that, I was put at the table with a mic with um, his nephew and we started calling the matches for their public access. Again, this guy had a promoter's license and he had ties in with um, local QP TV and Long Island access. So he would run these things in Jersey, Long Island, you know, some places in Connecticut, and he would get them out there on TV at the lowest degree before the internet was ever, you know, a thought. Yeah, Jimmy Snuka, man, oh, the stories. But um, that day, that day was like, holy shit, I kind of made the transition from being a kid that, you know, got paid 25 bucks to take pictures of wrestlers to, you know, being involved backstage of the booking process, um, handling, you know, um, the talent. And actually, I was out there on the road setting up the shows for many years as a teenager um, with his family, the promoter's family. Uh, putting uh, posters and getting people to pay money, which was a total fucking scam, um, to a put into a program. So there was many things I was doing for the wrestling, including handling Jimmy Snuka at points. And uh, at Carmel High School, I was told to go meet him in the parking lot. <laughs> this is the day I knew wrestling was fake. <laughs> this is the day Santa Claus died. Jimmy comes out and... Um, you know, I'd known him since 1997. You know, I was 16, 15. He was my favorite wrestler of all time. I couldn't believe it. And um, I go and meet him because he needed to be shown where to go to the locker room. And I meet him outside and I grab his bag for him. Hey, brother, how are you, brother? Oh, we're going to have a good show, brother. The car rolls away and he does this. And he goes, hey, brother, hold on. Hey, brother! <laughs> right in the parking lot of where the car would come in and go out, I right in the little incover alcove of your high school. Wow! And that's where Jimmy Snooker was like. I was like, oh my gosh! Jim, Jim, Jimmy Snooker wasn't the first or last person to do a key bump in that parking lot either. <laughs> <laughs> you and Jimmy Snooker might have some things in common. <laughs> But um, yeah, that was a really, really weird show. And then after that, I did some really cool things. I got to interview, I would interview, I interviewed countless living and dead um, wrestlers that made it, never made it, that was already past their prime. I interviewed Hawk, uh, Hawk from the Legion of Doom. Like your hair. Do you guys have similar hair? 
Yeah, well, that's you know, you know me. I like I like Hawk, but um, I was never a super LOD fan. But I always remember thinking that this was a bit of a tribute to him, you know. But um, Don doesn't know what's going on under that hat right now. Just so you know. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> with the wrestling, it was it was just an opportunity that got me in front of camera and like being around an organized whatever. This place, this 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 organization was probably the worst place for me for several factors, but um, it was just, it afforded me to be around people like the ECW guys when that was so hot at that time. I mean, oh, I never worked with him, but um, no. I, uh, I, worked with beach Tajiri, I, I worked with everybody. And at one point, Balls Mahoney was training me. Balls Mahoney. Balls Mahoney. At one point, Balls Mahoney was training me. Um, did you work with Bam Bam Bigelow a lot? I worked with Bam Bam Bigelow. I have a couple pictures with Bam Bam. He hey, was. Hey, I got a I got a Queens Bam Bam Bigelow story for you. So do you Go remember my high school, Cardozo High School in Queens, not too far from Forest Hills High School? Um, you know, um, we had a wrestling store on the corner of Springfield Boulevard. There, I don't know. Oh, Jack! I know exactly. That was Jack Sabbath's store. He was involved in the company that I worked for for years. After, after when I was yes, I know Jack. Right next Danny to Danny Demento. Exactly. Right next to them. Well, he exactly. <laughs> so he would bring Danny wrestlers Demento. in there to sign autographs. And I didn't know one day. I just happened to go in there to go buy something in the store, and Bam Bam Bigelow was sitting there. I was there that day. And <laughs> I was there. We were like, amazing. <laughs> and so I, I like looked at him and he looks at me and he goes, you got a problem? And I was like, no. Like this dude's like four <laughs> with tattoos on his head. I'm like, no. And I go to check something out. And I just look back over because, you know, Bam Bam Bigelow's sitting there. And I think Jim <laughs> Cornette was there with him too. Oh, I believe. I remember the tennis racket. And he looked at me and goes, you look at me again, I'm going to snap your fucking neck. And I, was like, <laughs> and I was like 15 or 16, I fucking ran. Like he like flinched, like I'm going to, and I just, I just ran like a little, like a little girl with my tail between my legs. And I was so scared of Bam Bam Bigelow for the rest of my life. And after that, I never, you know, I don't want to get the headbutt off the top ropes, man. I was kind of afraid of it. So be, but. Bam Bam was a great guy. Um, actually, I think that day you're talking about, I was not there for that signing. And I do believe a, because I'm, because I go extensively with this knowledge, I do believe a shoot interview exists of him from that day in question you're talking about. Oh, so you might get to see me running out in the back of a video. <laughs> I mean, that could be a reason why he was a little pissed off, you know? But um, I knew of Jack's store. I worked with Jack. I had interactions with him. And the reason I was uh, fucking making that sign to Danny Demento is because he's a little fucking bitch that's been wrestling for 15 years now. But he was Jack's little um, bitch boy. And he tattled on me when I threw 500 flyers out in Staten Island one day at the Applebee's on Island Boulevard. Wow. So, so fuck him. All right, all right. I want to put the whole story together now. For yeah, a fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, V, let's put this story together now. So, we, we know about your wrestling career. We know about your career with Joan Jett. Yes. What about when wrestling and Joan Jett meet each other? And Beef oh Henderson shows up for the main event at goddamn WrestleMania last year. That's all I know. I know my daughter's hero is Beef Henderson because he was there when Ronda Rousey strutted her way out in the main event to Joan playing live. Wow. A bad reputation. And there's a picture of Beef just standing there right down the aisle at WrestleMania. Beef, what was that like? Well, I do want to thank you, number one, for putting the definitive picture of my life um, <laughs> on the ad. And um, this will also go back to John G. Um, every time I say Johnny G, I think of my yeah, old buddy Johnny totally. Ganon. <laughs> you said John G, and I thought it was the first thing I thought of. No, I, it's John. I'm not. There's no why. I'm not a twelve-year-old. You got it, John. <laughs> you got it, John. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> um, so this goes back to John being like, "Oh, what have you thinking? You have arrived." So. Let's 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 marry this all together. It started with wrestling in 1997. 
Um, in two, it kind of ended, wrestling ended in a cycle for the first time in 2002, 2001, I was done with it, 2002-ish. Then I got into rock and roll by 2004, five. Okay, I got into rock and roll, I get out of rock and roll and I go back to wrestling and I train with Johnny Rods, WWF Hall of Famer at Gleason Gym. I bust my knee on tour because I decided to go back to rock and roll. And now I'm out of rock and roll and wrestling. And last year I get a call from Joan and, and uh, Mr. Ed Sargent. And um, <laughs> these are all exaggerated. Um, I love these people, as Joe knows, these characters. I love everyone I, I, I impersonate. Um, I get a call from Ed. Actually, I saw it online. Because I knew Rhonda was using the, um, you know, the thing. And I was like, this is, I, in my head, I was like, no, this isn't going to happen. No, no, no. A couple months go well, on. Well, you're talking like, about, you're talking about a core group of people that sold my Super Bowl ticket for crying that's out loud. That's another you story. Think, you, I know it is, but you don't think it's going to happen until it actually happens. Talk yes, about living right. your life in, and learning your lessons. In my case, in my case, my dream was realized. Joey Clax was sold and double backed from underneath him. But we can get to that story, you know, we can, we, sh we should tell that story. But basically, we get a phone call, Rhonda's going to get, use Joan to play live at WrestleMania. And I saw this on a tweet, because about 20,000 wrestling geeks that know me through the years were texting me. And I was like, what? I, I went nuts within two days. I was on the horn and I was like... <laughs> I said, I said, buddy, Eddie, I don't even need to say how valuable my services are at this particular juncture in time for this event. You know, long story I know, short. I, I know, I know Beef. Beef probably offered his services for free at that point. Uh, no, I did. I did. Um, it was so quick. And then within two days, it was like, you're going to WrestleMania. And that brings it to the best day ever. It was two days of production of the, the highest quality. Joe, I mean, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, for those of you that don't know, Joe, Joey Clack and um, Ethan were involved in the music business for many years before they became um, uh, Nikki Santoro and uh, Rothman from, you know, um, <laughs> from, uh, from, uh, you know, whatever Casino. that movie is. Casino, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joe Rothman over here, I call him. Awesome. The odds maker. Um, <laughs> so the production value is insane, dude. I'm talking about a 100-foot video wall. You know, across, 200 feet across, 100 feet high, split. Uh, did you guys see WrestleMania that year with uh, the dragster, right? Um, yeah, I see WrestleMania. Have you met my Triple H is dragster. It was... It was, it was just insane. They ran full rehearsal with the fireworks, with the, with everything. It was like, you know, I remember um, Kenny and Joan saying to me something along the line, you know, it gets so crazy. And when I think about this, it's like, <laughs> um, they're like, you know, we need you there because we don't know who these people are. You're going to need to, you know, give us the introductions. I'm like, of course. <laughs> And um, they had Chuck Zito with them, and Joey knows Chuck. Yeah. Um, Chucky from Oz, baby. I was going to yep. say, that's Oz's finest. Ran the bikers. Come on now. Yep. I mean, he was there. He's been Jones' um, on and off bodyguard for years. Yeah. Chuck Zito's events. a piece of work. He really is. You guys got to follow him on Instagram. Sure I will. Do. I do. Sure will. We got to get Chuck. He's, uh, he's out there, man. I love him. I love him to death. He's, Please, he's tell, tell Chuck we want him on the show. We want to do an interview with you and Chuck. I want both uh, of you. I was, I was thinking about that. I might ask him that because you guys are good. He knows a lot about boxing, you know. There you oh, go. Oh, I, I can talk to Chuck for a long time. I've got a good hour's worth of questions and conversation for Chuck. Don't you worry. I, actually, Beef, check this out. Hold on. I'm going to show you something. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Dramatic yeah. pause. You know, WrestleMania. I, I, hope, I hope he has a costume change. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. Wow. Is that oh, Chuck Zito's book? That's Street Justice. Street Justice. I have it, too. That's the hard copy. Wow. Hard copy. Bro. Don't you tell me about Chuck Zito. I love me some Chuck Zito. I read that, I read that book years ago, too, prior to me meeting him. 
But it was it was an insane. I mean, you're talking about we shared a dressing room with. Here's the list, guys. Ready? That's what I wanted to hear. We shared the list. We shared a dressing room with every inductee of the Hall of Fame that night, including Bret Hart. I was just gonna say Bret Hart went in that year when he got beat up on the stand. Bret Hart, um, Stacy Keebler. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, DX, uh, what's his name? X Pac was hanging out all night. Oh my god, Mark Henry. Oh, is he is he still alive? I'm surprised that guy's still alive. He's um, he's really tweaked. He's like, uh, but he's jacked again. But he was, he was like the I I remember him as the one, two, three kid. Like, that's like, that's who I see him as. He was, was, um, also, I think he was Maximilian. What was his name? He was, uh, the Dino, um, what did they call him? Before that, he was Max Moon, Maximilian Moon, I think. And he was also in Global Wrestling Federation before. Do you remember that? Used to be on TV. Herb Abrams? Yeah, he used to be on TV after school every day. Joe, you know how Herb Abrams, the talk about crazy promoters, you know how Herb Abrams died? How'd he die? Like this. They found him naked in his in his uh, in his office with a pile of coke, and he was like jumping off the walls like Daffy Duck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go out, yeah, right. Like, uh, he's a Brooklyn Jew too. (laughs) (laughs) So who who, who were? But um, it was them. Um, one of the nicest persons I had a conversation. First was Ivory, and then it was um Batista, who I will always, always love that man. I think I have a crush on him. Uh, so, and this ben. was after he was this, this was after he was big time too, right? Last year. This was his final match. It was his it was his retirement match. Well, no, but he was already like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he's but, he was already yeah. he was like he was like oh yeah, this is just a favor basically. He's a huge Joan fan too. Shane McMahon and uh, AJ Styles also we shared a room with. Ooh, Shane O'Mac? No, oh, he was the nicest too. I I I'm sure he'll remember me. They all do. <laughs> I love it. I love, I'm waiting to see you as a color commentator right now. I think your wrestling career as a wrestler is probably over. Um, I don't think the knees can hold up anymore. But I mean, Clax, don't you think this? Guy I've been is- saying this for a decade and a half, dude. He's the best color commentator out there. He's heard it. Clax heard the videos. He's yeah. Seen- oh, dude, I had the videos for a they're, long time. Very bizarre. You had to get the videos back from me. I did. Yeah, I still I- have them. They're very bizarre. There were some things going on there, but I met Ric Flair that night. I met fucking everyone. The, the um, I had a con- okay. This was the highlight of my night. No, there's two highlights. I you know I'll, I'll talk all night, but I'm gonna get to the point. I met everyone I ever wanted to meet, including <laughs> Freebird Michael Hayes. I moonwalked for Freebird Michael Hayes. <laughs> um, I met Chuck Zito. Introduced me to. Kevin Hall, I'm sorry, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And I have a picture with all three of them together and uh, sitting on a forklift doing that. I'll put those up. I'll get that to you. And um, during that, during that. Sorry sorry to cut you off. Scott Scott Hall was Razor Ramon, right? He was awesome, man. Yeah, he was Razor Ramon. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Yes. And Diesel. And then Kevin Nash was Diesel. Yes. Yeah, Diesel. I know. I know Kevin Nash. Yeah. And Big Vinny, or AKA the Wizard, or or D or Super Shredder from the Ninja Turtles. Super movie. Shredder. That's right. You for, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> so that that moment in time, I'm going to give you an idea of what it was. I was talking to Chuck Zito on my right, Kevin Nash. I'm sorry, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash in front of me on my front and to my left, and then all of a sudden, the man walks up. Woo! Mr. <laughs> Ric Flair himself. Does he do that when he enters a room every time? <laughs> he was hooting and wooing the whole fucking way. Hogan, Hogan was he, there he, and he, I didn't he, see Hogan. But you know what? I would have loved to see Hogan because it's a whole other thing. But I'm so glad I had this moment with Flair. If I had to choose, I would go with Flair. Because Hogan would probably drop, brush me off. Mm-hmm. But Flair walks into this circle he muscles himself into the circle <laughs> and puts his arm around me and Chuck Zito and proceeds to start talking shop about some old French wrestler that had just passed away that everyone knew. And for two minutes, I was involved 
in a genuine conversation between absolute legends about people that everyone knew backstage at WrestleMania. And I only <laughs> wish I had a picture of that, but it happened. That's, that's insane. The only person missing from that is like Shawn Michaels with Kevin Nash. Yeah, like it was, it was insane. Dude. And then um, the other highlight of the night was, I mean, after uh, real quick, um, Joan went on. Okay. So triple H goes and does his thing. That was after Joan went on, but um, I think, or before Joan went on, uh, it was before possibly, I don't remember, but I got to congratulate triple H. I got to shake his hand as he walked through the curtain, right. As his thing was over, he knew we were with Joan and he was like, Hey guys, we were like, Hey trip, you know? And he was like, good job. I was like, I knew Lemmy. <laughs> I mean, have, you ever, have you ever watched camp WWE? I did. I did for a minute, and I, I really only watched a couple episodes. You just did the perfect Triple H voice from that. I, I, I think that's where it came from. But um, the highlight of the night for me would be the complete ending, wrapping it up, would be um, when you say about your girls watching Ronda Rousey, and I'm almost positive if you get the WWF 24 from that particular WrestleMania, you will see me with my fucking stupid fucking hat on. You know what I'm talking about. My top hat. You'll see me walking back and forth that whole fucking show. But um, Blackheart crew member Annie and um, Brandon. Bus, bus. Not Brandon. Maybe it was, um, it wasn't Brandon. It was Gary, Gary Hood. The Hood. And um, Gary Hood, who I love. I just spoke to him the other day. Um, he was there. Um, we had to basically set up Joan. And the only way off the stage is through the split in the um, screen where they walk out of. So we rushed back to the gorilla position, you know? <laughs> awesome. The, the, um, the, the makeshift office right behind the entranceway. Rush back there while Jones plays. Cameras are everywhere. And it's Annie and myself, and we're standing right next to the curtain. As this, this, is, this is the highlight of my life, I think of my wrestling life as as the camera's pulling out everyone's lined up and there's Rhonda, and they're about to walk out and someone looks at me stewie the camera guy who's the main camera guy for wwf looks yeah. at me and says pull it pull it so annie grabs one side of the curtain i grab the other and we pull the fucking curtain open for Rhonda and the main event for everyone that night and if you see it on, you could see it on camera when we're, when we're there, you could see it. It happened. And that was just. <laughs> Steve, that's absolutely amazing. That is, that's, 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 that's the pinnacle right there. You, you that's it. There's nothing else. I never watched. I watched maybe one more wrestling pay-per-view since then. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that was it. You it might was the greatest it. of all time. Here, I want to show you something. You like drop. Yeah. Oh, Look what I'm sitting wow. on. Oh, on the chair. Oh, There's like six of them. But um, it was the absolute pinnacle of the marriage of Joan of wrestling. And, you know, I'd often been called the link between heavy metal wrestling and porn. So. Steve, you basically headline <laughs> WrestleMania is what you're saying. Basically, yeah. You headline WrestleMania, and I'm friends with a guy who headlined WrestleMania. And like I said, if there's any way to end an interview, that's the way you end it with the man who, other than winning a Nobel Prize, I think that's the only thing left for him at this point. Um, and he will win a Nobel Prize. Um, people think a Grammy, an Oscar, maybe one of those first. I think a Nobel Peace Prize is coming to be. Um, I, I watch Beef's um, social media during these election times. Beef's fighting the good fight. Beef is going to win a Nobel Peace Prize, folks. I'm telling you. You know what it is? I'm like SLC Punk. Remember that movie? Oh, wow. Yes. You got to float in between the tribes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can't, I can't be, I, look, man, I have friends on both sides. Everyone knows I'm not the most political guy at all. So I'm more about the Green Party, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Beef, so, let's, like, let's, I got a question. Let's, let, let's end it with this. What, what's next for Beef Henderson? Um, Jesus Knievel, you know, we were supposed to do a European tour with a death metal band called Master, who were one of the original death metal bands from the 80s and 90s that came out of um, America. Um, that got stalled because of COVID, and I do hope everyone is doing good because of it. 
of the situation. I forgot to say that, but um, that got stalled out. But you know what? Um, I think after COVID, man, there's a big change in the industry. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Joe might be out at this point. Oh, I'm out. You're out? Okay. Oh, I'm you, out. You know, I hear, I hear things. I always want to get it from the source. I'm out. But, um, and I know Ethan, you, you're still in it or are you in the green biz? Right. <laughs> right now I'm out of the music business right now. So, but you know, there's always a part of us that's in there, but after COVID, I mean, it's different. It's different. It's all going to be, and it's not going to be going back for a while. I'm really thinking about doing something. I mean, Gary Hood, we'll go back to him. He, he let me host his Lou Reed show, um, his birthday show. Wow. And um, I've always wanted to do that because I'm kind of that kind of guy. Like, you know, Ethan's the host of this show. This is a perfect vehicle for him. You know what I mean? Um, I did that and I did it as Paul Stanley with a. Uh, <laughs> And I wore a shirt that Ben Newberry gave me that belonged to little Steven. Wow. <laughs> There's just so many parts to that comment. There's so many parts Continue. to that story. <laughs> but um, I really would 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 um, like to get into when live entertainment or possibly voiceovers for certain things, because I believe Kenny Laguna's voice and uh, Billy Crater's are the best ever, including Joe Clax as well. <laughs> uh, I would I would always put their voices in, but I don't know. I really think I'm going to try and move on to something different. I'll always do music. Um, I'll always be there for, you know, Joe can get that call and he will be there. And you know Joe was, when Joe's going to get that call. I know when Joe's going to get that call. I hate to say it, but I know when he's going to get it. And I do predict that that's when he gets back into the music business. When, when am I going to get that call? Oh, when my fucking dumbass dies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I already got one of those calls, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what yeah I, I think wanna... I'm going to move on and try and find something until we get back to normal. And, you know, if if the Blackhearts call, I'm always there. Just like I said, Joe's always there. We're longtime associates of these, you know, rock and roll icon and legends. And we do have, you know, we do have, um, you know, tenure with them. So I believe that at some point it will happen and I'll be there for the call. But until then, I got to find something else, I think. Steve, I think, I, uh, first of all, there is a, a rock star that we had on our last episode that did tell us he misses you, Mr. Boris. I saw that and I got a hold of him on Instagram. And you know, Boris was so cool. He's really that guy that shows up to the shop, gets his own gear. He's like, oh, I play in a band, you know, I go, go Bordello. And at first I didn't fucking realize it, you know? <laughs> Dude, he's, he's a real rock star. He did. I mean, <laughs> so, um, oh, Beef. Well, it's been a pleasure, Beef, having you on the show. Let me tell you, I, I think we're going to write you like a, a script here so you can just do all the voiceovers. Maybe write like an animated short or something. Just have you do every so, voice on it. E, e, before do an we sign animated off, short. What's, what's that, buddy? Uh, before we sign off, I do want to say that I want uh, this to be like kind of a lesson for people. Like you, had, you mentioned early on in the podcast that you didn't want to go to college. Like you were like destined for the stage. There's other outlets out there for people that are creative and want to do things. And that needs to be pushed, like pushed so much harder. The arts need to be pushed. And I think hopefully we get back in that direction. And like the, you weren't like, it was like something that was almost bound to come to you. It seems like. You know, and John's, John's absolutely right. The arts and, and there are other routes. You're absolutely right. Um, did you go to college, John? No. Well, I took community college after, and then it just kind of fizzled out. I so. mean, my, my college, I really want to, you know, this goes to the heart. I wanted to, I wanted to make my old man happy as I could. He wanted me to do something, you know, the old man. And I did it for two weeks, LaGuardia. <laughs> <laughs> and my old friend from kindergarten, Mike, I'm not going to say his last name, was a, was a weed dealer. And I saw him there the second day, and all we did was smoke weed in the garden. You know, so it wasn't going to happen. But, John, but you, you made it. You, you made a passion happen because you believed in something. You knew you weren't going to do good in college, and you you pivoted. And it's possible for everyone out there. We just we don't need to push the traditional shit down everybody's throat. I agree with you 100. percent No, I really do. I mean, I think that there would be more success rates for people or kids at this point because we're 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 fucking grown. I think that younger kids might have a more success rate of following their passions, you know, other than 
doing what mommy wants. You know, what, but, but you know, Beef, what you have in common with all the successful uh, artists we've had on the show is yes, you had a passion, but then you put the work in. See, that's the difference. Like John said, you don't have to go to college, but you can't be lazy playing video games, sitting on your couch, smoking weed all day. And you might give off that perception that that's what you do, but that's yeah. not what you did. You came out to these gigs at two o'clock in the morning and busted ass when you weren't getting paid to be a tech, you were making your hourly wage as a driver. And that's the difference of why you make it to where you are and why you're successful compared to a lot of other people. It's work ethic. Class I really appreciate way. that. That means a lot to me, man. It really does. You know, and um, again, a lot of people don't know what, maybe what uh, Ethan's background was prior to the sports thing, but he, he, him too, you know, there's a certain work ethic. You do things your way and you got the gigs and you get the gigs and you kept getting gigs. This guy worked with the freaking the, the Wolf Brothers, the Naked Brothers band, you know, it's like, and you were, you were there, you know, forever. Joe, uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Joan Jett, uh, B. Wilkes. Um, I don't know who else, you know, there's so much, and that's not including the one-offs. Well, that's the thing is the 5,000 one-offs between the three of us. Um, but you know what, it's, it's about work ethic and that, that, that's what makes the difference. And it's the same thing with athletes. Um, when you see the guys that make it to the top, they're not the guys that are sitting on the couch all day drinking beer. No, they're drinking tequila at the end of the night after they worked for 12 hours during the day. And, uh, or they're not drinking tequila, they're usually doing a lot of coke, but you know, whatever they're doing at that point. Um, I've learned in the rock and roll business, and I'm sure you have, um, I'll throw a name out there. You can be drugged out of your mind, but if you have the work ethic and you can hold a job, what happened to that guy, Dave Robinson? Remember my old boss? Oh, wow. That guy, that guy was my boss for like five years. And the guy was on heroin for 24 hours a day. But somehow he kept a job. He made 80 grand a year. And uh, the, the, not saying he was the most quality. He didn't worker. make 80 grand a year, just for clarity. That dude never made 80 <laughs> grand a year. You want to know why he did? No, he, he didn't. Eight, he worked 80 hours a week. He didn't go home, that guy. That dude, oh. half his paycheck was overtime. He, half his hours were overtime on his paycheck. It was amazing. He was just, he'd sit in the room and do heroin from six in the morning till midnight. Well, uh, heroin's, heroin's not, not cheap. It costs money. He had to support his habit. But all I'm saying is the guy actually had a really good work ethic, believe it or not. And that's why he kept his job until- <laughs> Okay, but what we're saying, all fired up does not condone heroin. No, what I want to say right no, now. No, only cocaine. <laughs> no, no. Go, go cocaine, cocaine, weed, and liquor. <laughs> I mean, Amen. it does go back to that really, really does, especially I played hockey for many years. I was, it's so funny that I'm on fired up sports show and I do appreciate you having me because of the connection that all three of us have. And John being an outsider, I'm sure it's so it's fun to listen to, but you know, I played hockey for many years. I really did. I played ice hockey. I played roller hockey. I wanted to be, you know, I was up at 7.30 every morning fixing my skates, um, getting to Russell Sage Junior High School 190 um, and playing with those bozos, uh, going to Juniper Park, playing with those Middle Village idiots. You know what I mean? Um, I would go up there. I played ice hockey at the World's Fair um, Ice Rink, which is now the, the Queens Museum. They, they, you know, expanded it. And I didn't have what it took, you know? I was a fat bastard. And I wanted to play hockey, but holy shit, I couldn't eat right. I could skate well for a fat chubby fuck, you know, and I could I can hit people, but I could not do this. And um, you know, I, I eventually moved out of it and got into music, but wrestling too. I could have done something had I not busted my knees. I could have been, I could have definitely been that guy at your high school gym, that local dude that like, all right, this guy's all right. You know what I mean? That's all I ever wanted to be. I love it, Beef. Beef, you're a star athlete. Don't, don't let anyone tell you different. Don't let anyone tell you different. Well, we're, as we come to the end here, um, any final thoughts that you want to share with us, Beef? Yeah, um, I, I want to say that, like, I wish I, I wish that I had more knowledge of sports because you guys are great. But um, another thing is, like, I, I like the way um, – I like the way you guys uh, do your, do your business on here. It's really cool. But I want to say never uh, never go to a uh, never go to a casino in Minnesota with Joe in the middle of the night, and never go to uh, never. Um, I, don't know, I got nothing bad to say about Ethan. 
right, so we got I, I, I mean, so episode. much shit that happened, but everyone's everyone's you got too you know. High every time you remember any of it. That's oh yeah, wait. Oh, and um, if you're ever gonna grow up, you know, if you ever not know each, we we kind of grew up together in in a weird sense, Ethan and I. We grew up in the same town in the Catskills. Our families That's actually true. know each other. It's kind of wacky. It's kind of like it is. Beef, we want to offer you a residency on our interview series here. Oh, and, Jesus. And, and Beef, I want one to be at a campfire next time at Mama Beef's house in White Lake. That, that's where oh, we want we'll to do it next time. Oh, thank you, guys. That's so nice of you guys. I, I apologize for my motor mouth. I just keep going sometimes. That's, that's why you're here, Beef. This is all about yeah, that's why you're. That's why you're going to come back and tell us that clock story next time. Yeah, we got to save I, it for next time. And I, I know part of that Minnesota story, so I think um, when the world hears that story, story um i i, I think um we'll have a whole new appreciation of so complex i'll jump i'll jump to the end of this story both of us lost yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, the that punchline <laughs>